0: Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, uh, let's get them out and open up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. If you don't, there should be one uh, in front of you, somewhere along there in a pocket. Uh, open it up, let's turn to the Gospel of John as we continue in our Believe series. Um, this message today is about Jesus and he heals the nobleman's son. And so the question I would have for us, have you ever been in a place where you felt Absolutely helpless. The circumstances were beyond your control. There was nothing you could do to fix the problem. Uh, That's this man's story in the text today. Um, I've been there. I've been at the place where I felt helpless and there was nothing I could do. It was uh, June the 1st, 1995. I was at work. I got a call from a coworker of Sue Um, She was uh, working in the mall in a store and had gone on a break and was sitting out um, on a rock in the parking lot area. And I get this call from a coworker of hers saying, Sue got hit by a car, Um, you need to go to the hospital. It looks like she's broken her leg. And uh, so I got into my car. I remember driving into Huntsville, probably not doing the speed limit. As I drove, I thought, I'll meet her at the hospital, the cast will be put on, and you know, in six, eight weeks, everything will be okay. As I, if you know Huntsville, as I drove through on Main Street, I came around the curve where the mall was, and I saw in the mall parking lot an ambulance, the fire truck, and a police car, and I thought, oh my goodness. This is not just a broken leg. Later on, we discovered that her leg, lower leg, had been crushed. Um, Her pelvic bone was broken in three places. Her SI joint in her back was dislocated. And were it not for the surgery um, that a doctor did in Huntsville, she probably would have lost her her lower leg. They uh, did that surgery. They transferred her to Toronto for a few days to make sure everything was stable. And then they sent her back up to Huntsville. And uh, and then I remember hearing, getting a call, don't remember how it all happened, but um, that she had had amazing pain up in her chest. And uh, went in and found out that a blood clot had gone from her leg up and into her lung. And um, that happened actually more than one time. And I remember going and standing with the doctor and asking him, what does that mean? Like, what happens if the blood clots don't stop? And he said, well, if they don't stop, eventually, you know, clots get in your lung and you can't breathe, and eventually it would suffocate you. Um, I felt helpless. I remember pulling out on Highway 11 and heading home, Carl, was in grade eight, Beth would have been in grade six, and I pulled off the highway onto the side and I just started to weep. Because I was helpless. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't fix this. So I know what it's like to cry out to God when you are helpless. Sue was in the hospital for four weeks. The limp that she walks with today is a result of that accident, but she's here, and I'm so thankful to God for his healing power and the way that he works, and we rejoice in that. But have you ever felt like that? You're just so helpless. That's the story of the man that we see today. He doesn't have a name. We call him the nobleman's son. Um, some people call him the official's son. The story is found in John chapter 4, and I want to read that text for us. So let's stand together. We want to honor God's word um, as we read it. And I'm actually going to start in verse uh, 46 of John chapter 4. It says, Jesus, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea of Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them at the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed And all his household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Father, what an incredible story of your grace. What an incredible story of your mercy. What an incredible story of your love. What an incredible story of your healing power. What an incredible story of the picture of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so as we look into your word today, would you give us ears to listen carefully to what your word says? Minds to understand it, but then, oh God, passionate hearts filled with faith to live out even when the world seems hopeless for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you can take your seats. Uh, We talked about the signs that Jesus uh, displays, and we're looking at six of them. This is the second of the signs. Um, How do I know it's the second one? Well, it actually says right in the text, now, This now was the second sign now. It was the second sign Jesus did in Galilee. There were lots of miracles that Jesus did, but there are a number of them where it talks about the fact that it was a sign, and it's a sign he's displaying that he is the Messiah sent from God and ultimately will be the Savior of the world. And so that brings us uh, to our text. And if I was thinking about the big idea of this message, it was taking Jesus at his word Leads to faith. Taking Jesus at His word leads us to faith. Now, the setting of the text is found um, starting back in uh, verse 43. After two days, He departed to Galilee, for Jesus Himself had tested, excuse me, had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. You remember Nathanael back in chapter 1. He was the one who said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Jesus, uh, he obviously knew that. He's saying that. He's stating that. And, um, but the evidence that they re- report back to the thing that drew them to him in this case, was what had happened in Jerusalem. So flip back just a page or two in your scriptures. We will be looking at this text eventually as we go through this series. But in John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he was raised, uh, then when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus has been up in Jerusalem. He's turned the tables over. He's making stronger and stronger statements about who he is. Although it's not clear for them at this point. It was was later on when they would finally all understand it. Um, But that's a little bit of the setting. So now he comes down into this setting. And he meets this man who has a God-sized problem. He has a God-sized problem. Uh, Verses um, verses, uh, 36... And 37, the next day again, turn over the right page of my Bible. That'll help me to read the right verses. Um, 46 and 47. So he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea of Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and see, heal his son for he was at the point of death. This man was in desperation. The first of the signs that we saw was the picture at the wedding in in Cana and the water is turned to wine. We have this disappointment. We have this, this shouldn't be like this situation. We have when the wheels fall off kind of situation and Jesus turns the water to wine and and the disciples believe. But now it's a different story. This isn't a, a life is falling apart in my situation. If I had my plan, it didn't work out. This man's life is falling apart because his son is about, to die. God-sized problem. Would we all agree this is a God-sized problem? That would be a good time for you to go. Yes, Pastor. This would, that. Would, this, would we all agree this is a God-sized problem? Yes, Pastor. Thank you. This nobleman was probably, by his title, a man who served a king. Um, either in a civil or a military capacity. Probably he served Herod Antipas. Now, Herod wasn't an official king, but that's what everybody would have called him. And, um, and he's serving him. He's in a powerful position. He's got the ear of the king. He had it all. He had power. He had authority. He had possessions. He had money. He had position. He had the ear of the king and could tell people to do stuff, and they had to do it. He he had prestige, but he could do nothing to help his son. With all that he had, with all that he could do, with all that he could muster, with all the people he could uh, tell to do things, he could do nothing to save his son. He was desperate. And he knew his son would soon die. And so he makes the trek from Cana to Capernaum, about 20 miles, 30 kilometers, because he hears that Jesus is there. He obviously believed that Jesus could do something about this, that maybe Jesus could heal him. Um, But he had no idea that Jesus was anything other than a healer at that point. But that's the God-sized problem. We don't know if his family traveled with him. We don't know if his wife was there. They're never mentioned in the text other than at the end where it talks about the faith of his family. Um, But he goes. He makes the trek. Look at verse uh, 48. Look what it says there. It says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I want us to think a little bit about this father's persistence because he makes the trek and in verse 48 he meets with Jesus and Jesus says unless you see the signs and wonders you won't believe the and the official said to him sir come down come down before my child dies he said in verse 7 come down and heal my son And, and the father is persistent the father isn't giving up and right in the middle of all that, Jesus makes that statement. He says, unless unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's an interesting statement. The word you there was not a word where he's just like you, unless you. He wasn't just talking to the nobleman. He was talking to everyone who was there. They're all seeing, they're all standing around, they're all listening. It's a plural word. He goes, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. You won't believe. Um, do you remember uh, Thomas? You find him over in John chapter 20. and In John chapter 20 and verses um, 47, uh, 24 to 29, it says this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, it's after the resurrection of Jesus, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And so we have this nobleman who persists. He goes, Come down, come down, come down. And 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 Jesus goes, You, you won't believe unless you see a sign. It's interesting because they were looking for Jesus to do something right there. And Jesus eventually is going to say, just go home, your son's going to be fine. It's so awesome the work of Christ. He's 20 miles away, the son is. And Jesus says, You can just go home. He's going to be fine. We're going to come back to that in a second. Um, he's going to be fine. He's going to be healed. He is healed. He's healed already. But unless you see a sign, you won't believe. Unless you see a sign, you won't believe. So church, what about us? Lots of people running around looking in signs of wonders and seeing all kinds of crazy things going on that I don't believe really are from God at all. Um, So what do we see? What have we seen? What has been given to us to see God and his working? I told you the story of Sue's accident Well, she was in the hospital. One day, I went into her room, and I'm standing at the foot of the bed, and she's laying there, and she was in the hospital for a month for all of this. And, and she says, look at that. And I look out the window, and I'm in Huntsville, right? It's a beautiful place. I can see the lake. I can see it all. And I'm thinking, yeah. But then I realize she can't see any of that. All she could see was the top of one tree. That's all she could see. And I don't know if a bird flew into the tree. I don't know what it was. But she goes, look at that. I can see it all and miss the point. All she can see is the top of a tree. And she's in wonder of how God's creation is awesome. Are you missing it? Just so busy running around, driving around, doing so many things that we miss God and the signs he's given us, the things that he's put out there for us because we're way too busy on too many things and you can see the whole lake and it all, all of it and you miss the little tree. God's displayed himself in his creation for us. So that we can see his handiwork. God's created, he's displayed himself in his word so that we can be focused on it and see the working of God. And God's displayed himself in salvation. Yours and the salvation of others. I was thinking about this this morning as I was praying over the text and it just reminded me of you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two. The greatest miracle in your life when God took you from being a dead person and he made you alive. You won't believe unless you see the signs. You've seen the signs. We have the signs. We've seen the working of the Lord. And when you see the Lord working in our lives, the illustration of the accident is just one illustration in our lives of God has cared for us and worked in our lives and been gracious to us and yeah, this man, though, he's crying out. He's crying out. He didn't have the furnished work on the cross. He didn't understand the indwelling Holy Spirit. I love what Spurgeon said about this. He urged no merit, but pleaded the misery of the case. He did not plead that the boy was of noble birth that would have been very bad pleading with Jesus, nor did he urge that he was a lovely child. That would have been so, um, such a sorry argument. But he pleaded that he was at the point of death. His extremity was his reason for urgency. The child was at death's door. Therefore, his father begs that mercy's door may be open. He just persists. Jesus, please come down to my house. Jesus, please come down to my house. What's your situation today? What is your, Jesus, please come down to my house? And you persist in it and you pray in it and you don't give up in it. You persist in prayer. You persist in study. You persist in faith and faithfulness. You persist in obedience. You persist in hope. This father persisted. He persisted. Things don't always work out the way that we would like them to work out. In this case, Jesus healed his son. Sue and I, we prayed for healing. We prayed that she wouldn't have any any circumstances that would go on in her life. Uh, The doctor told her 25 years from now, 25 years from now, arthritis is going to hit into your hip and into your, and it's just going to be, it was like he wrote the thing on the calendar in our house. God saved my wife's life. That surgery saved her leg, maybe her life. But there's been things that have come from that that she lives with every day. And yet we persist in faithfulness and we persist in hope. It's not like a health and wealth. And it's like, oh, no, Jesus, you're just going to do what I want you to do. You know, God will always do what's right. It's what he did for us. And in this case, it's what he did for the nobleman's son. Look, look at verses 50 to 52. As the story goes on, we see the Savior's power. Look at the Savior's power. Um, and Jesus said to him, go. Go. Your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servant met him and and told him that that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Um, The the nobleman didn't do anything other than to come and ask Jesus to come down, come down. He didn't do anything. He couldn't, remember, he had all those tools, he had all those things in front of him. His son was going to die and he could do nothing about it. And Jesus says he's going to be fine. He brought the situation to Jesus and Jesus speaks and the man believes. And the man believes. And he heads home. He heads home. It's interesting to me that Somewhere north of 12 hours later is when he meets the servants who are coming. The servants who are coming to meet him. So, so the servants are in the house. They got no idea what's going on over here. They, they didn't have telephones. They didn't have text, right? None of that. They're over here. They're seeing the boy getting better and they're like, woohoo! And the servants are on their way to meet the nobleman to tell him what's going on in his son's life. He's been healed. He's been healed. He's recovering. But it's 12 hours later. It was 20 miles. It, it took him however long it takes to walk that far 20 miles. I've never walked 20 miles. How, however long that takes. I'm thinking going home, your son's going to be fine. Like, I had to run the whole way, even in this condition. It's the next day at 1 o'clock when they meet. Why didn't he run home? Like, what was it that took so long to get there? Now, you have to understand the text doesn't say, I'm going to give you a little sanctified imagination here. I think it's because he believed. Because he believed. He knew he was going to get home, and his son was going to be okay. And so he didn't, he didn't saunter along, but he made his way home. And as he's on his way home, the servants come out and they meet him. um, And it's an incredible meeting. Um, The the nobleman was in a hurry to get to Jesus, but the trip home was very different. Um, Verse 52, it says, so he asked them the hour when it began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever, the fever left him. The father hears this and he knows right well that 1 p.m. was when he was talking with Jesus. That must have been an overwhelming rush of God's grace and God's goodness and God's mercy. It's all coming together for him. He understands. The Savior's power to save, the word of Jesus was enough. The power to save me. The work of Jesus was enough. It happened a long way away, happened a long time ago. But the power of Jesus to take me from where I was in a place where I was dead without Christ and make me alive in Christ what an awesome reminder for us of the Savior's power, what He can do because He is God, He is the Messiah. And then the result of all this is the last thing I want us to see today the personal faith that saves. The personal faith that saves. Verse 53, the father knew what the hour was when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He himself believed. And all of his household. How this actually works out, the story doesn't say. As I said, we don't know whether, the, whether his wife and kids or whoever was with him, there was, his family gets saved through this, right? So I don't know if they were there and they'd gone with him and he's trying to trudge them all back home. I, I don't know. The story is about the conversation and the reaction and the action between Jesus and uh, the nobleman. Um, but he gets there or whether they're coming along with the servants. Let's go, we gotta find him, we gotta find him because our son is healed. Um, I do know this, though. He himself believed. He himself believed. And all of his household. In Acts chapter 16, 31 to 33, remember Paul was in prison. And the earthquake happens, and and they are freed. And the uh, jailer's going to kill himself because when the rulers find out that they're all gone, um, and the followers of Christ that were there said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night, and he washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all of his family. In Acts chapter 18, and verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed And were baptized. The father's faith did not save his family. The father's faith did not save his family in John chapter 4. It did not save his family in Acts chapter 16. It did not save the family in Acts chapter 18. But God used their faith. And then their family comes to Christ. It's such a reminder for me of the awesome opportunity and responsibility we have as parents with our kids. Train up a child in the way he should go. You be faithful. You be faithful. You can't save anybody, but the Lord Jesus Christ can. And there's lots of pictures, more pictures in the scripture than the ones I've given you, where that exact thing happens. But you have to trust the Lord. You have to trust the Lord. He wanted Jesus to come to his home. He learned that Jesus' words were powerful to save, even from a distance, and even his family. Do you have loved ones, and you've kinda, you've given up? Don't ever give up. As long as there's breath, there's hope. I've said that so many times. As long as there's breath, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's hope. You can't save anyone. The Lord God does what he does in his sovereign plan we don't give up. But I love that this story, they are so overwhelmed with the work of Jesus and the healing, maybe of a little brother or a big brother, of a, of a son, of a, of a cousin, of a whoever, and they trusted Jesus Christ. I love the picture that Warren Wiersbe gives of this. Uh, he talked about how this man's faith grew. It grew, but in, in verse 47 in the text, we see the crisis of of faith in verse 47, he's got this crisis. In verse 50, though, there's a confident faith. In verse 53, there's a confirmed faith. And then in verse 53, again, there's a contagious faith. If you're writing that down, there's a crisis of faith in verse 47, a confident faith in verse 50. This faith is confirmed in verse 53, and then that faith is contagious. He is saved and is his household. God, give me that kind of faith. Give me that kind of faith. Family, servants, life-changing experience, faith that saves them, faith that keeps them. We learned in the text from The Water to Wine that his disciples believed after the water had been turned to wine. In this story, we learned that the father and the rest of his household believed as the result of the healing of the boy, in both of the cases, that word believe is in the inceptive aorist. Please don't ask me to explain that. I have no idea what that even means. That's the form it's in in Greek. Okay, But just so you know, it means they put their faith in him. There's a transfer of their trust. It was a transfer of their trust. They believed, they put their trust in him. Now again, they're on the other side of the cross. They don't have the whole picture like we have the whole picture, but they put their faith and they put their trust in him. Have have you done that today? is your trust, is your hope in Jesus Christ. That's the transfer of your trust from what you believed in and what you hoped in and what you thought was going to get you right with God. And You're going to get to God based on your merit. You're going to get to God based on your works. And, And Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, that is the hope of our world. That is the hope of salvation. That you come as a sinner and Jesus meets you as a savior and you put your trust in him and you believe and you're saved. And eternal life begins right then. It's gonna get way better. Like these bodies are going away. It's gonna be way better down the road. But you have eternal life because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It says that that they believed, they believed. Put a little note in my notes that just says, note to self, remember the works of the Lord. Take stock of all that God has done for you. Don't forget, don't forget. Just, Just reminding myself of what happened in the situation with Sue's accident and other things in our lives are just, just reminders of God's grace and his goodness. And it's, it's the faith that's saved, but it also helps and supports the faith that keeps us moving on because we see God's work and our hope isn't found in us. Our hope is found in him. Well, verse 54 says, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he'd come to, from Judea to Galilee. The signs are given to show the glory of Christ and to lead the reader to faith. Remember what the purpose of this book was? The very first message, John chapter 20, 30, 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in him. The first sign persuaded his disciples. The second sign persuaded a Jewish nobleman and his household. The first two signs took place in Cana of Galilee. The first was at a party where the wheels had fallen off and the Lord Jesus Christ took care of it, but it allowed the disciples to see, oh my goodness, this is just not our buddy. This is the Savior. The second was uh, connected to what looked like the worst tragedy ever, the illness and the soon death of a child and God raised him up and saved him. Well, so what? It's another one of those nice story, Pastor. What's your God size problem today? What's what's going on in your life that just seems too big? And are you like the nobleman who had the faith to go to Jesus and cry out, come down, save my son. Help me in my situation. Your your situation might be as big as his, but it's probably not bigger than his. Are you being persistent in seeking the Lord? I love that more than one time he's talking to Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, please, please, please come down. And he doesn't give up. And do you trust the Savior's power? Not for your plan, but for his plan. And are you trusting with personal faith that not only saves you, but it keeps on saving you? It keeps on keeping on for the glory of our Savior. The nobleman is a great story, but it's a true story. It's a model for us and an example for us to live out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, believing that he who began a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion. He's going to take care of it. And the Lord Jesus Christ can and will be glorified in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, for your help and strength to serve you, to live for you, to trust you. And Lord, we may not even see at this point the end of the things that we've cried out to you for. They still might seem confusing to us. And yet, Father, this nobleman had faith. He believed you would do what you said you would do. So we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. But Lord, for the person who's here who's never trusted Christ, would this be the day, please, God, when they would see the work of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the King, who gave his life so that we could have life. And would they put their trust and faith in Christ alone? That simple transaction that we can't do because sin separates, and yet Christ solved the problem in his giving of himself. So Lord, we rejoice in that with great hope. Work, God, please work for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.